You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Well, amen. Good morning, church family. Everybody doing okay? Well, I'm thankful to be here today. Thankful you're here. We had a good crowd the first service and and a good crowd today. I think preacher said our attendance is running like 70 to 80 percent of normal attendance pre-COVID. So while some churches are less than 50 percent, so praise the Lord. Amen. Uh, Good attendance. Thank you for your faithfulness and welcome to our church. Pray for Brother Eric and his family. I believe they will be traveling home almost all day tomorrow. So just pray for a safe trip for our pastor and his family. And thank you, church, for the opportunity to share God's word. I think it's been about a year and a half since I stood in this pulpit and preached, but uh, to me, every single opportunity is big. Anytime, amen, that we get to share God's Word, it's big. And I'm thankful, by the way, for our church. Aren't you glad that we go to a church where we get spiritually fed? Amen? I'm telling you, that's what it's all about. Uh, I'm thankful that every Sunday, I feel like I leave here with some good spiritual food, and that's certainly our goal today. We're blessed. We're blessed here at Gospel Light Church, I'm telling you. And we need to be thankful for that. Well, before we get into the message, we're going to look in John chapter 9, so you can begin to turn there and prepare John chapter 9. Brother Eric has been teaching and preaching out of the book of Mark, his series. I think Jeremy also preached out of that book last week. We're going to jump over to the Gospel of 9 in the chapter of the healing of the blind man. The healing of the blind man. But before we do... I thought just to break the ice and and give you some foundational stuff, I thought about our situation today. Aren't we living in crazy times? Amen, church? I mean, none of us have really ever been through what we're going through right now. I mean, it's nuts. Uh, We've got political tension in our country. There's social unrest, this COVID-19 thing. I work for the McKee Foods Corporation, we manufacture Little Debbie snack cakes. And I'm going to tell you something. Since the COVID thing, y'all went crazy with your snacking. Let me just say that, amen? Hey, I'm telling you, I'm dealing with angry customers every week that can't get product. People are mad. I mean, forget COVID, man. I'm just trying to make some more oatmeal cream pies, Amen. It's crazy. I mean, our business is booming. We can't make enough product. I'm thankful for it, too. eh? I'm on job security. eh? COVID's given me job security. But it's crazy. Every, Every week I hear these two questions. Brother Butch, where will this all end? Where are we headed to as a nation? Where's all this going to end? And then the other thing I hear is this. I wonder if it's going to get worse. And then the big question of the day for me is, is there going to be college football this fall? Amen? I mean, hey, I'm nervous about it. Amen? I mean, I love college sports. And, man, I, I'm praying every day. On my, it's on my prayer list, too, by the way, that God help college football not to be canceled. And, I, hey, and the Razorbacks are pitiful. Amen? I, I'm diehard. So where's all this stuff headed to? 
Well, I just want to remind the church today before we get into John chapter 9, hey, God is still in control, amen? Make no mistake about it, God's in charge. He knows the end from the beginning, and he's still in charge. Hey, we, we need to be living. You say, Brother Butch, how should we be living right now in these days? My small group and I have been talking a lot about how we should be living and how we should be behaving today in this strange culture that we live in. And my answer, hey, we should be living the same way we should have been living before COVID-19, and that's living by faith and not by sight. Amen? Let me give you a couple of foundational thoughts today. Number one on your notes, long before COVID-19, the Bible teaches us that life is uncertain. Amen? The Bible teaches us that uh, Jordan read a verse this morning in Matthew 6, 33 and 34, where we hear the verse a lot, seek ye first the kingdom of God, but we need to hear the next verse, take no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought of the things itself. Hey, sufficient is the evil of that day. And, and so the lesson there is, I think what God's trying to teach us in that verse, just a little bit of foundational before we jump into John chapter 9, is, is this. If we're not careful, we will let tomorrow's troubles rob us from seeking God today. Maybe you're like me. I used to be a worrier. We got any worriers in the group? I mean, I struggled with it. I've been transparent with our church. It used to, I used to worry about stuff, whether it was finances or whether it was stuff uh, in my personal life or job or whatever. I, I used to worry about stuff. And God's really helped me with that over the years. But Proverbs 27.1 says this, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. That's your first verse today. So as we think about this situation we're living in, I would tell you, first of all, don't sweat tomorrow, amen? Don't fret over it. How should we be living today? We should be living by faith and not by sight. And church, listen to me. We should be living by valuing the present. Amen? We have today. Amen? God says there's no guarantee. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Don't worry about COVID next week. I'm just glad I don't have it today. Amen? Enjoy the church service. Enjoy your family today. I'm telling you, I had to learn to live like that. I didn't live like that. Learn to value the present because the fact is life is uncertain and it always has been. Don't worry too much about tomorrow. While we need to be cautious, and I'm all for the social distancing and the the mask and the hand washing, I'm, I'm not against any of that. I don't think Christians ought to fret about it and get stressed out about it and worry about it. I, I, I believe the Bible teaches worry is a sin. And I'm telling you, I was in bondage to it for years, even as a pastor. Don't waste today's blessings worried about tomorrow's burdens, church. Your second point under your foundational thoughts is this. We also understand the importance of taking life one day at a time to reduce worry and live a richer life. Psalm chapter 90, verse 12, the Bible says, To teach us to number our days so that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. God told the psalmist here, hey, number your days. We tend to measure our life in years, but God says to number your days. 
magnifying the importance of each day. Amen? And he says, if you'll do that, what I love about that verse, if you'll do that, you can apply your hearts to wisdom. I believe with all my heart, if, if you'll learn to take life one day at a time, hey, you'll make better decisions. You'll live a richer life. Hey, every day will be big, amen? Some of y'all need to get that. Some of y'all have wasted your present by worrying about next week. So how should we live, preacher? Well, we should live by faith and not by sight. And my foundational message to you today is take life one day at a time. Amen. Sufficient is the evil for tomorrow. Hey, don't fret about tomorrow's problems. They're going to be there when you get there. Amen. Several times we're taught in Scripture to live one day at a time. When Jesus taught the disciples to pray, he said, give us this day our what? Daily bread. Reminding them, hey, one day at a time. One day at a time. In a world of uncertainty today and the fact that we are told by God that life is uncertain, there are also some certainties in this life that we can hold on to. Hey, there's some things as believers we can anchor in. Amen? There's some things, no matter what's going on in our crazy world, that we can dig into and, hey, these are... These are promised. Aren't you glad God keeps his promises? Hey, I mean, we got some things we can, we can dig into and put a foundation in. Here in John chapter 9, we find a man blind from his birth. And he was suffering. Let's read verses 1 through 8. And before I do, I want to give you just a quick synopsis because we're not going to be able to get through this whole chapter. I'm going to give you the, the sections one at a time. And then I'm really going to give you a practical application to the chapter. The first part of the chapter is about this blind man suffering. The Bible says he was blind from birth and that he was a beggar. I think in verse 8 it says he was a beggar. The next section of the chapter, the second section of the chapter, it, it talks about the, uh, the criticism he faced. The Pharisees. This healing takes place and the Pharisees don't like it. Amen. Hey, make no mistake, and we're going to go over this, but there's always going to be some Pharisees among the multitudes. There's always going to be criticism. And then at the end of the chapter, we see the miracle take place, and, and this man proclaims Jesus as healing him. He said, hey, I don't know about everything about this man, but I know this, I was blind, but now I see. So let's read the first eight verses, and we'll dig into this thing. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me. While it is day, the night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made a clay of the, of the spittle. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. The neighbors, therefore, and they which had before had seen him, that he was blind, said, Is not this he who sat and begged? 
So here in these first seven or eight verses, we see a blind man. Now the Bible says he was blind from birth. Now I don't know which is worse. To me, this, that's pretty bad, amen? That, that's suffering to a degree I don't know of. Maybe the only thing worse than that would be to lose your sight. I don't, maybe it's not, I don't know. We do know he was blind from birth. One thing I would say that we need to be careful about as we think about this man suffering, because the first thing I want to look at is suffering today. One thing we do, because I hear this a lot in Christian circles and I don't like it, is whatever suffering you're going through and whatever suffering I'm going through, we need to be careful because I hear this a lot. Well, you got it better than them. Or you don't have it as bad as they do. I've never been blind, but I've learned this as a pastor. Listen, we need to respect anyone suffering because no matter what you're going through, it's real to you. Amen? And I've had to learn that. So this man was suffering, but you know what? Number one in your notes, four things I know in uncertain times. The first thing is this. Number one, suffering is guaranteed in this life for the Christian. Hey, church, it's guaranteed. It's inevitable. Suffering is guaranteed. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 says, Yea, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. It's inevitable and it's guaranteed. It's a part of life. The Bible even says it rains on the just and the unjust. So it saved or lost, you're going to suffer in this life. You say, well, Brother Butch, that's a downer to start the message with. Amen? Well, hey, before this thing's over, I'm going to show you the beauty of it. I'm going to show the beauty of it from a very personal point of view. You see, all throughout the Bible, we see suffering, don't we? Jesus healing the lame, the dumb, raising Lazarus from the dead, Jairus' daughter. You can go on and on about people that are suffering. It's guaranteed, church. So my question to you today is, are you suffering? No doubt in this crowd... You're either in one or two spots. You're either going through a season of suffering or you're in a season of victory. But, but the news is, if, if things are good right now, hang on because you're going to enter into another season of suffering sooner or later. It's coming. Hey, and it's, it don't matter where you go. It's waiting on you, amen? I, I'm telling you, suffering's a part of life. It's inevitable. Now, I don't like to suffer. Do y'all... I don't like it. I've experienced suffering in my life. Maybe some of y'all have experienced suffering at one time or another. Maybe not blindness. Maybe today you're suffering with some things. Maybe it's physical suffering. I don't know. Y'all ever had physical suffering? Vince just told me his shoulder was killing him this morning. Amen? And he's up there playing that guitar. I've had, hey, two, I told y'all two years ago I had kidney stones. Oh, God help us. I found out, well, I thought I'd suffer. I, I don't know how many of y'all have had kidney stones, but I'm telling you, my wife's had kidney stones and babies. And she said the kidney stones were worse, so you women ain't got nothing on me. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> and by the way, it took me eight days to have my baby. God help us. I'm telling you, I, I ain't never been that right with God. I asked God to forgive me all my sin that week. I prayed for my enemies. 
I love my neighbor as Jesus loved me. God help, I wanted to be right with God. I needed some help. You get a kidney stone, you'll get right with Jesus. That's just, that's not even in the notes, but that's true. I'm telling you, I talked to him. I've suffered. Two, two weeks ago, not even two weeks ago, about a week and a half ago, I had food poisoning. I suffered. God help, I felt like, you ever seen that movie, Alien? That thing was in my stomach that day. That thing was in my stomach that day. And he wanted out. I've suffered. Man, I could go on and on. I've had 44 stitches in my leg, 17 stitches in my foot. I mean, I was the seventh of seven children. That right there ought to tell you enough, amen? I was abused. And I know I was an unplanned pregnancy because nobody has six kids and says, let's have another one, amen? I know God don't make mistakes, but I know I was unplanned. I've suffered. So the question is, I had a little fun with that, but listen, why do we suffer? You ever ask yourself that? Why do we suffer? Why do we suffer? Why does God allow suffering in our life? I don't know what you're going through today, but I want you to know suffering is guaranteed. And, and the more, hey, the more we teach our young people, I want my kids to know it's a part of life. You need to prepare for this. Amen? Our kids are spoiled today, and, they're, and I believe a lot of them emotionally are soft. And I don't know if they're going to make it. I think about the things I've been through, and I, I, my heart hurts for my kids. Lord, help me to teach my kids to prepare for, for life because it's hard and we suffer. And I don't like it. I don't like to see other people suffer. I don't even like... Have you ever been watching TV and those commercials come on with those animals suffering? Man, I hate those commercials, don't y'all? I hate them. I don't want to see a dog suffer. So we hate suffering. But the fact is, we've all gone through it and we all will go through it. Let me give you your notes under suffering. Number one, first thing under your notes there, sometimes suffering is caused by our personal sin. And number two, sometimes suffering is allowed by God. And the last thing there, and we'll stop here, in either case, whether it's from our personal sin or something that God's allowing to come into our life, we should never speculate as to why others are suffering, but realize that God's glory should be manifested in both. Sometimes our suffering is because of our personal sin. Amen, church? Let's just be honest. One of the things I love about Brother Eric preaching or Brother Scott or Jeremy, whoever it is, we're transparent. Amen? Sometimes we face the consequences of our sin, which is suffering. That's just the way it is. So I don't know. You have to ask yourself if you're suffering today, whether it be physically or emotionally, is it my fault? Is it the result of my sin? But the second one's tougher. The second one is sometimes God allows suffering in our life. We don't know why this blind man was born blind. Amen? We don't, the Bible didn't say. It just says he was born blind. But it does say, you notice in like the second verse, it says uh, the disciples, <laughs> uh, the God, those closest to Jesus said, who sinned? This man or his parents? Surely somebody's committed a great sin for this guy to be born blind. Now, was this man's blindness due to his personal sin? 
No. No, sometimes suffering is just allowed by God. Either way, I don't like it. And the bottom line is we shouldn't speculate as to why people are suffering. Amen? If you have a brother or sister that's suffering, don't. It's really none of our business why they're suffering. Amen? What we need to be doing is praying, as verse 3 said, to God's glory would be manifested. Whatever and whyever they're going through it, God, we want your glory to be revealed and manifested. Amen? I mentioned some physical sufferings that I had and had a little fun with that, but I think there's a worse kind of suffering, and that's emotional suffering. Because we tend to hide it, don't we? Man, we're good at putting on that front, aren't we? When inside we're broken, we're hurting, we're weeping. I've always said as a pastor, when you stand up in front of a crowd... Well, I bet God's view is totally different than mine today because he sees on the inside. He sees people that are smiling but broken on the inside. He sees people that are, we don't even know it, but maybe they, it was all they could do just to be here today. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what your suffering looks like, but I'm going to be very personal with you today. My wife and I have gone through a season of suffering with our oldest son, Gary. Emotional suffering. It's been tough. We love our kids, don't we? It's been a 12-year battle of addiction. And it's real. Hey, I'm convinced in our society and in this generation that the scourge of drug addiction is the devil's workshop. The last time we went to court with my son, we sat there for two or three hours. And 21 of the 23 cases that were presented that day were drug-related. It's a problem, church. It's a scourge to our culture And it's a scourge to Christianity. This stuff's real. A lot of pain emotionally in our life the last 12 years, and we're not out of the woods. I told you I'd be transparent with you today. Some of the things I'll share with you today, I've only shared with my small group. Our son's been locked up for the last 18 months. We're praying that he's released in the next three months. Now, I don't say that for any pity because I'll tell, you, I'll tell my church family this. We think he's right where God wants him. I think it's God's will for my son to be locked up today. But it don't change the pain. I'm talking about 12 years of emotional suffering in my family. I'm talking about the pain of not knowing if he's alive. The pain of not knowing where he is on any given night. Hey, I know where he's at right now, amen? God took it away. The pain of not knowing as a mom and dad if we were going to get that call at night that every parent fears. Seeing my wife suffer, and I've suffered, but I'm telling you it's different for, for moms. They've got a maternal connection I don't have. 
seeing her suffer and my three other children exposed to the consequences of addiction. It's been painful. Seeing my two grandchildren suffer so far going through life without a responsible father. I'm a firm believer today that 80% of our issues in America today is the lack of dads in the family. I'll just say it. I think a lot of this stuff would go away, dads, if we'd step up and be a godly man in our home. I think that's what's missing. It's missing in my grandbabies' lives. Now, we hadn't given up. I firmly believe today that the only reason my son is alive is because people have prayed, and I think God's got a plan. I think God kept him alive because he's got a plan for him. Amen? I believe that. Make no mistake, it was his personal sin that caused his suffering when it comes to my son. But what I've learned in his addiction struggle in the last 12 years is is even though it was his personal sin that's caused his pain, it's affected our whole family. There's scars. Maybe you're here today and there's some scars from the suffering. And it wasn't even your sin. So how do we deal with it? What's the correct response to suffering in this life? It's not easy. In your notes, two ways to deal with suffering. Number one, we must learn to accept our sufferings. Amen? Accept them. We've got to learn to accept our sufferings. That's not easy. You see, I spent years dealing with this the wrong way when it comes to my son. I want you to know today there's a correct response to suffering and there's a wrong response to suffering. I spent the first, I don't know, two or three years in denial. I mean, I just, I wasn't going to believe it. Not my son. Not, Not my son. My son is not a drug addict. I spent two or three years just denying it. I got news for you. If you're here today and you're in a season of suffering and you're trying to deny it, it ain't going to work. It ain't going to work. Then I, then I spent probably a couple of years mad. You ever been there? Man, I was just angry. I was mad at my son. I was mad at God. I was just mad. Why me? I even you know, kind of had that pity party. Why me, God? Why, why my son? Why someone who's trying to do things right and pastor and, and disciple people and teach the Bible? Why? I mean, I was struggling, church. I was suffering. I didn't, I didn't know what to do. I, I grew up, I didn't know what drugs. I, I never was around anybody that used drugs growing up. My son's the first drug addict I've ever known tough it's time of suffering when the right way to have handled it would have been to accept it we don't like to do that do we but we must accept it I spent years in denial years angry I spent hey another wrong response I had I spent probably a couple of years trying to fix my son 
And my wife told me several times it wasn't going to work, but I didn't care. I was going to fix him. That's usually a, something that a man struggles with. We want to we fix our problems. Amen? So I spent a couple of years trying to fix him. It was the wrong response. Being in denial was a wrong response. Being angry was a wrong response. Trying to fix my son was a wrong response. And after years of pain and anger and tears, and the whole time God was saying, let him go. Let him go. Well, that's hard for me. Well, we don't want to let our kids go, do we? But I'm telling you, I've studied the prodigal son. I guarantee you more than anybody in here, I bet. And nowhere in that chapter does he go after that kid. He lets him go, don't he? He's looking for him. But he don't go into the far country after him. And I, man, I was in the far country with him when I was hunting him down. I was reminding him of his sin. I was mad. But God said, you got to let him go so you can refocus on me. You see, church, when it comes to our suffering and our pain and our tribulation in this life, if we, if we don't let it go and accept our suffering, we will lose sight of the Lord in our life. And our life will be consumed with only our pain and our suffering. Man, when I learned to let my son go and refocus on God, what a refreshing day in my life. What a refreshing season. Maybe you're here today and your suffering has overwhelmed you. Maybe you're in affliction today. Maybe we don't even know it, but you're broken on the inside. I'm telling you, you got to let it go and accept your sufferings. Let him go, God said, so you can refocus on me. Let him go so you can trust me again. And seek me again. God said, what I want you to do in your pain and in your suffering is let your son go and trust me with him. And take that time that you would worry and be mad and in denial and seek me and find me and search for me in your pain. Search for me in your trial. Search for me in your affliction. How many times do we see David in the psalm say, in my despair I sought the Lord. In my affliction I persevered for God. In my pain I called upon God. Our suffering, if we'll learn to accept it, is a time we can know God deeper, church. I know God now in a much deeper way than I ever did before. I don't know today what pain you're going through, but I would encourage you to accept it. Just accept it. It's not easy. Isn't that what Jesus did? He just accepted his suffering, didn't he? He said, no man takes my life. I, I lay it down freely. But we resist ours, don't we? We resist our pain. We resist our suffering. Over and over in the Bible, we see examples of the importance of seeking God in our pain and in our sufferings. And it took me years to learn that. Then, if we'll seek God in our suffering, then God will receive the glory. He said in this blind man's case, I, my glory will be manifested 
Let me give you real quickly the second point there. Two ways to deal with suffering. We must learn to accept our sufferings. Number two, we must learn to seek God during these times of suffering and not just relief. Amen? We tend to ask God for relief, don't we? Lord, take this burden off of me. Lord, please remove this from my life. Well, it may be God's plan for you to go through it for 12 years. So you probably should quit praying, God, remove it, and pray, God, help me to accept it and seek you in it and find out what you're trying to teach me. Amen, church? I'm going to share with you three things God's done in my life as a result of going through this with my son, and I've got to hurry. Number one, God has removed pride from my life. God humbled me. And by the way, sometimes I believe this church, sometimes I think God allows us to go through things to humble us. And realize, listen, but by the grace of God, I would be a drug addict today. Amen? So God removed a lot of pride from my life. And I never consider myself a prideful person. But sometimes God will reveal layers of pride to us that maybe we don't see. Second thing he did in my life through my son's drug addiction is he gave me compassion for that crowd. Amen. I got compassion for that group now. I love it. I I love that crowd. And even though I never disliked that crowd, I just never was around them. I never grew up in it. I told you, my son's the first. And so, but I didn't have compassion. Now I do. See, before this happened with my son, my attitude was always, man, I hate if someone's going through that, but, you know, life's about choices. You know, they, they got to live, make your bed, you lie in it. We heard that, didn't we? And while there's some truth to that, the fact is that shouldn't be our response to those that are suffering. We should have compassion. Yet by God's grace, there go I. So God's given me compassion for that crowd. I love it. I had a young lady meet with me after church today on the early worship and said, hey, I need you to pray with me. I'm going through some severe addiction struggles and that's the third thing God's done for me because of what I've been through with my son God's provided me opportunities to help others amen hey maybe God's allowing you to go through some pain today and some suffering today because later on in life you're going to get to help somebody else amen church it ain't all about us all the time is it Now, I know it wasn't God's plan for my son to become a drug addict, but it's almost like God said, okay, your son's personal sin brought this on, but here's what we're going to do. I'm going to get glory out of it. Amen? God finds a way to get good out of our bad, doesn't he? And he's done that in my life. Suffering. And the fact is, it's just a biblical truth. Suffering is guaranteed. We tend to gravitate as believers toward the victorious, hey, absolutes and truths in God's Word. 
Hey, we get excited about the gospel. We get excited about salvation. We get excited about God keeping his promises. Church, I got news for you. Suffering is just, a must, it's just as much a truth in God's word as the gospel is. And we should embrace it and accept it. We tend to ignore the admonitions and the sufferings that will fill our lives at times and miss the beauty concealed in responding correctly to our suffering. In my season of victory, I will rejoice. But I'm telling you, it is in my season of suffering that I become more like Christ. Jesus was known as a man of sorrows. If we really want to become like Christ, we're going to have to learn how to suffer. Amen, church? And respond correctly. 1 Peter 5.10 says, After you've suffered a while, then I'll establish you and strengthen you and settle you. The establishing and the strengthening and the settling and the growing and the perfecting is preceded with suffering. And if we don't learn how to suffer properly and respond properly, we're just going to spend our whole life as an immature believer. Suffering. Number two today. Four things I know in an uncertain time. Number two, God chooses who he wants to heal and in his time. God chooses who he wants to heal and in his time. For the sake of time, I'm not even going to read the passage, but in verses 7 through 12, what happens there is Jesus has healed this man. And for some reason, he chose to do it on this day. Bible doesn't say why. It said Jesus passed by, saw the blind man and healed him. Today would be the day he would be healed. After years, no doubt, of begging, the Bible said in verse 8 he was begging. After years of begging and years of blindness, today everything would change. But how many years did he have to wait? Well, we don't like waiting either, do we? Uh-uh. I don't know how many in here we teach and preach a lot in our churches about patience. I don't, I don't know how many in here have a good level of patience. I feel like I'm pretty good at it, but not as good as I thought when I really discovered what patience is. But I'm telling you, it is critical in the life of a believer when it comes to suffering. Sometimes... For some reason, God chose to heal this man on this day. But sometimes God makes us wait, don't he? I mean, we've been waiting 12 years. That's a long time, amen? Praying, seeking God. I mean, God's changed my whole attitude. He's removed worry from my life. He's removed doubting from my life. I'm now learning to seek God in my pain. I mean, God's growing me. It's been great, but it's been 12 years. But the bottom line is this. God chooses who he wants to heal and when. Amen, not us. I remember when my nephew Christopher got cancer. We prayed for him. He was only eight, my brother's son. And he got bone cancer. And at the age of 11, he passed away. 
So for some reason, God didn't choose to heal him in this life. Have you ever wondered, God, why do you choose to heal some and why you don't choose some? Sure we have. But the fact is this, and this is in your notes today, sometimes he chooses to heal and sometimes he makes us wait until his plan is fully revealed. I've talked to my brother before. and You know, I've even heard him say, I don't know why God allowed my son to pass away at such a young age. But I do believe one day I'll know. You see, the bottom line for the believer is this. Whether God, if you've got a physical infirmity, whether God heals you in this life or the next, hey, we can't lose. We're going to be healed one day. Amen? But sometimes God makes us wait. He may make us wait years in this life, or He may make us wait till we get to heaven. I think my brother firmly believes today that the reason God took his son at such a young age is because something else worse was going to happen later in his life to him. Now that's strong faith, church. Waiting. God may choose to heal and God may not. Remember, be careful about speculating why God chooses who he chooses. Amen? That's not our job. Why does God choose to heal some instead of others? Don't speculate about that. Ask only that whatever happens that God's glory be revealed. Sometimes he chooses to heal until his plan is fully revealed. Your second note is this. Biblical patience, sometimes he makes us wait. Biblical patience is more than waiting on God. But learning to wait without complaint or discontent, which places the emphasis on our attitude during our suffering. Well, that changes everything, don't it? See, we thought patience is just waiting on God. But if we're waiting on God but we're mad the whole time, well, that's not patience. Amen? The Greek word for patience actually says waiting without discontent. So the lesson there, church, is when we're waiting in our pain and in our suffering, hey, we're to stay committed to God. Amen? We're to stay, hey, focused on the purpose of learning what this pain's about for me. We're to stay faithful to God. Hey, we're to continue to come on Sunday in our pain and in our suffering and worship God in spirit and in truth. We're to come today and to give in our pain and to give in our suffering. Hey, God help us to learn as as believers today that in our suffering I will praise Him just like I do when times are good. I'm talking about waiting on God with a good attitude. Amen? Because we've all been there when our attitude wasn't right. We're waiting, but God, I'm mad. We're waiting, but God, I don't believe anymore. We're waiting, but I've lost my faith. God, give me biblical patience in my life. Because sometimes he's going to make us wait. He's going to make us wait. Number three. 
in your notes, number three says this, there will always be some criticism from someone when God works. Amen? In verses 13 through 23 of our passage today, again, for the sake of time, I'll just give you the synopsis of that passage because this is a long chapter. But the Pharisees start complaining. Amen? They start questioning what happened. They just don't believe it. There's always going to be Pharisees that come into your life when God tries to work in your life. Amen? Y'all been there. Hey, there's going to be some, some criticism and some Pharisees when God works. It's guaranteed. That, that's point number three. There will always be criticism when God works. In verse 16, the Pharisee says, Hey, this man Jesus is not of God. He's not of God. He's out here healing on the Sabbath. Here they go again. Remember, I think one of preacher's message talked about how Jesus was healing on the Sabbath. So there they were complaining about that. Verse 18, they said, hey, I don't believe this guy, Jesus, guy named Jesus healed this man. Go get his parents. I, I, we want confirmation. I, wanna, I don't believe this. I want to hear from someone that says he really was blind. Go get his mom and dad. You see, there's always going to be criticism. And there's so many lessons in this. And then in verse 22, even his mom and dad, who the Bible says in that passage were afraid of the Jews, they were afraid of the Jewish leadership. And when they were confronted, they said, yeah, he was born blind, but you need to go ask him. Because the Bible says they were scared to get kicked out of the church. They didn't want no heat from the Pharisees. Hey, isn't it interesting in this passage? Have y'all noticed this so far? I mean, we're about 30 verses into this chapter where Jesus healed a blind man from birth. And ain't nobody excited about it. Is that strange to y'all? What's that teaching us? Hey, I'm all about exhortation and edifying the brethren. And encouraging. And by the way, gospelite's good at that. But I got news for you. If you're going to move forward into a deeper relationship with God, it better not be dependent upon the cheers of your brothers and sisters. Amen to that one. Because sometimes it ain't going to be there. Even his parents, oh, I think they loved him, and deep down they were happy he could see. But they weren't willing to sacrifice their place in the church. God help us to celebrate when God's working in somebody's life. Amen? God help us to celebrate when God gives our church a victory. God help us to rejoice when Jesus saves a lost soul. God help us to rejoice when God, hey, redeems and restores a life of addiction. God help us to celebrate it. But I've already told my son, listen, when you get out of here, you're going to have your critics. Amen? There's going to be that crowd that says, I wonder how long before he falls off the wagon. Hey, and some of them may be within the church. Some of them may be family. I wonder how long before he goes back to the addiction. There's going to be the critics. Hey, I got news for you, church. If criticism stops you from moving forward with God... You ain't going to make it. Because it's just as suffering is guaranteed, criticism is guaranteed too. 
When God works, I'm telling you, somebody ain't going to like it. What's it going to take to stop you today? All the Pharisees were critical. My son is going to hear, it won't last. I've seen it before. He's been through that rehab four times. That thing don't help. And in this chapter, a man was healed. And I see no celebration. God, help us to lay aside our doubt and our pessimism when God works and rejoice in what God is doing in our life and in our church. And when you do have those seasons of victory, hey, and a brother or sister from afar has those seasons of victory, don't doubt it. Don't be envious, but celebrate it with them. Celebrate it when God is working in someone else's life and maybe not yours. Celebrate it. Your notes are this under number three. Religion requires confirmation. See, the Pharisees were religious. They wanted confirmation. They said, hey, go get his parents. I want to get verified. I need verification that this kid was blind. While faith learns to trust what it cannot see, a lack of faith can cause you to miss the blessing. And then the last point under that is this. Sometimes even those close to you will not understand what God is doing in your life or the decisions you make. We better quit looking for man's approval on everything we do and start worrying about if God's approving of it. Amen? So basically, you have two paths. When you get undue criticism, you can stay down and subdued by the criticism, or you can move towards the blessing by celebrating in faith. You see, I don't care what anybody thinks. I believe God's going to heal my son. I believe he's going to restore him. I think the only reason he's alive is because God's got a plan. I believe that. I claim it in the name of Jesus. I don't care how many people say he ain't going to make it. I don't care how many people say, well, if he's gone this long and hadn't get off of it, he ain't getting off of it. Fooey on all that. There's going to be criticism. Number four, we'll finish up today. Number four is this. This is another guarantee in life, another thing I know in uncertain times. No one is ever the same after being touched by Jesus. Amen? No one's ever the same. In verses 24 and 25, the Pharisees again called the man that was blind and said unto him, Give God the praise, not Jesus. Give God the praise that this man is a sinner. Talking about Jesus. In verse 25, he said, He answered and said, Whether he be a sinner or no, I don't know. I know not. One thing I know that whereas I was blind, now I see. Amen? He said, I don't know about if he's a sinner or not. I know this much. I was blind, but now I see. No one's ever the same after being touched by Jesus. As our musicians begin to come forward, I'm going to give you these last notes. And this is really our conclusion. 
Number one under there in verse 27, we see a change of boldness. I love verse 27. Let's look at that verse. Verse 26 said, They said unto him, What did he to thee? How opened he thine eyes? Verse 27, He answered them, I've told you already, and you didn't hear. Wherefore would you hear it again? Will you be his disciples? Man, this guy done got bold, didn't he? We see a change of boldness. You see, if God touches you, there will be a change of boldness in your life. Man, you'll be willing to talk about God, won't you? You'll be willing to share the gospel. Hey, if you're really saved, you've really been touched by God, hey, you'll be bold about it. Not cocky or arrogant, but you'll have a humble boldness about you. Hey, I'm proud to be a Christian, amen? I don't know about y'all, but I'm glad I'm saved. Hey, let me just say this as we finish up. There ain't nothing wrong with being saved, amen? Ain't nothing wrong with it. Verses 30 through 32, we see a change of faith. A man answered and said unto them, Why in is here a marvelous thing that ye know not from whence he is? And yet he hath opened mine eyes. Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? Verse 31, he said, I'm a worshiper now. Amen. I was blind, but now I'm going to worship him. And then we see a change of understanding in verse 33. If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. He said, I don't know everything about this man. I know this I can see. And this man's of God. Man, he had a new understanding, didn't he? Hey, I don't know where you're at today with your suffering. Before I leave you today, the, uh, I believe a, a picture is worth a thousand words. I'm going to put a picture on the screen of my son and my two grandkids. It's tough. My grandson's got his shoes on the wrong feet. Can you believe that? He don't even care either. That was Easter Sunday, I don't know, two or three years ago. My grandson's name is Pax. P-A-X, we just call him Pax. My granddaughter's name is Emmy. And I'm praying God will restore their daddy. It. I'm going to determine to seek God during this suffering. I'm going to know Him in a deeper way. Because just like this blind man, I got news for you. This message today was to Christian, but I got news for you. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you too are blind spiritually. If you'll come today, we'll show you in the Word of God how He can remove those scales from your eyes and give you spiritual eyesight. Just a moment, I'm going to pray. I don't know how God spoke to you. Maybe you're suffering today and you're handling it wrong. Maybe you're angry. Maybe you're in denial. Maybe you need to come and say, God, help me to seek you in my pain. Help me, God. Help me not to be a critic, but to celebrate others' victories. Help me, God. Let's all stand. Father, thank you for the word. Thank you for the Bible.
Lord, we know your word will never return void. I pray for this invitation. I pray, first of all, if there's one soul in our church that's lost, that today they would receive spiritual eyesight. And then, Lord, I pray for Christians. Lord, I know I myself really handled suffering the wrong way. Maybe some need to come today and say, Lord, help me to learn to accept my sufferings, just like Jesus did. Help me to learn, God, to seek you. And what lessons you have for me, what purpose do you have for me, God? Not to get angry, not to run away, not to be mad. But God, what are you trying to teach me? God, help us today. We need you. Bless this invitation and the remainder of this service. In Jesus' name, amen. You need to come today, you come.